Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York Airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into the last FizzCast of our SU Top 100, breaking down the final 10 players on our Top 100 list is Jaron May here with Gil Gross. And Gil, wow, this is, it's taken a while, but it's been a lot of fun. And we've uh, we've kind of just gone through the legacy of all of these amazing teams and, and uh, athletes and just all of Syracuse athletics in general. It's been a lot of fun. Are you ready to break down top 10? It felt like yesterday when we were doing 80 through 90. What happened? I know. I know. I know. It, it flew by, but it also seems like it's been going for a while. It's one of those things that just you kind of you get swept up in it. And uh, finally, we're here. We're in the top 10. Let's uh, let's start at number 10. And of course, you can find our list on our orangefizz.net website. Follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. Find all of our audio content on our SoundCloud page again by searching Orange Fizz. Uh, but let's start at number 10 and Don McPherson, one of the greatest quarterbacks in SU football program history comes in there. He's actually one of the only players and quarterbacks rather. Let me, let me quantify it like that, uh, to finish as a Heisman candidate and a Heisman finalist. So his senior season, the, in 1987, Syracuse goes undefeated. McPherson leads the team, obviously. Um, they tie in the Sugar Bowl, which is something that we can talk about because how do you end a bowl game with a tie is beyond me. And then he finishes second in the Heisman race. So I think Don McPherson at a, at a 10 spot is a good spot for him. I don't really know if I would put him any higher, but he's definitely a top 10 player in SU history. Obviously, that 87 season kind of solidified McPherson. Um, and I feel like he kind of kicked off the next golden era of Syracuse football because you had all the running backs in the 60s, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. And then the 90s were really good and people cared about Syracuse again. And that kind of all culminated in Donovan McNabb. And McPherson just kind of he, he revitalized the entire program. Right. Yeah, I mean, he also, when you look at his stats and you look at the SU record book, if you're someone that puts a lot of weight on what you did statistically, then McPherson's also going to be up there. And you got to look at, he threw for nearly 6,000 yards. Um, He added almost 1,600 yards on the ground. Um, And then he's also in the College Football Hall of Fame. So um, he has the accolades, he has the stats, and again... The bowl, like the the national championship or the the postseason uh, play, is also in McPherson's resume. So again, ten, I think it's a good spot for him. I I would have a difficult time arguing for him above some of the other athletes we're going to get to on this FizzCast. Uh, but again, he's also if he dropped to like fifteen, that's when I would have I would start to kind of question why he was that low. I kind of agree with you that he he feels almost like tier two, and I think one through nine is kind of the tier one, because I yeah. do think I do think it it's a step up after this. But it, his career was really meaningful, and just to put like a number on what I said before, SU had gone sixteen years without entering the AP top twenty five, and then that all changed in nineteen eighty seven. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge year, right? Uh, it's it's yeah yeah uh it's kind of like that whole um what you meant to the program as well so he has that he revitalized the program like you said and then he has all the stats and everything so yeah um don mcpherson 10 good spot i'll let you take over for nine number nine justin knight the highest non-revenue athlete because lacrosse is so massive for Syracuse, that doesn't count. Highest non-revenue athlete on this list. And it really comes down to the fact that Knight, uh, the cross-country runner, long-distance runner, basically won everything there was to win. And he was an individual national champion in three categories. Um, Cross-country, 3,000 meter, 5,000 meter. He was 
he was the best runner in the country when it comes to distance. And he's got a chance to do more as an Olympian, which is like kind of just the pinnacle of athletics, right. period. Right. I mean, it's kind of crazy because I think a lot of the SU fans and maybe some of the readers of Orange Fizz uh, might not know his name. I mean, if you're a current fan and you're a current student or you are a uh, recent alumni, you're probably going to know Justin Knight or at least you're going to know of Justin Knight um, and recognize his name. But there's also going to be those fans out there that are going to be questioning why he's at nine and why he's so high on our list. And it's because, like you said, he won three national categories. That means that he was the best in the entire country in three different competitions while he was at Syracuse. So that just means that, like, like to, to put it in perspective— uh, for let's just say a football player. That's basically like if you were the best at three different competitions in football, you'd probably win the Heisman, right? So Justin Knight kind of won the Heisman for his own sport. Uh, so if you're out there and you're listening and you're questioning why is there a runner uh, in the same conversation as like Don McPherson and some of the other names that we're about to get to on this FizzCast, uh, look up Justin Knight and just look at what he accomplished because as an individual athlete, it's very difficult to have to have anybody else above him. Don McPherson wasn't an individual national champion. Right. And if there was such a thing in football, he wouldn't have won. You know, no, no disrespect, but he wouldn't have <laughs> won it. You know, <laughs> like, so uh, that's, that's so significant in an individual sport. Like, we were talking about tennis off the air just kind of for fun. Mm -hmm. If if Syracuse ever had a women's tennis player, because they don't have a men's team, if they had a women's tennis player who won the national championship in singles, they'd be on this list and they'd be high on this list. It just doesn't happen every day. It means you're the best at your sport. And for for Justin Knight to have been doing this uh, for, for Syracuse is incredible. One more thing. Did you watch the uh, the video on the uh, that was posted in the article on orangefizz.net, Justin his Knight, little, his kick, yeah, yes. So, a kick in running, and I, I didn't know this. It's at the end in long distance, obviously, you're kind of you're kind of jogging it, obviously, you're jogging it at a crazy speed, but you're not like all out sprinting. But at the end, you know, they summon all the energy they have left, they empty the tank, and they run. And Justin Knight is like 20 feet behind this dude final straightaway and just kicks it into Usain Bolt level blows by the guy and finishes with like a 10 foot lead it was unreal and that that yeah. video I was just enthralled yeah I mean it's it's weird to say like watching track highlights is fascinating but it was like it absolutely was and I do want to give let's let's like kind of give some inside scoop for our listeners right now. When we first ranked, and again, I've explained this a couple different times for our Fizz listeners, but uh, basically how we did this SU Top 100 list, all of this Fizz staff members filled out their own Top 100, and then we averaged all of those rankings together. And when we first did it, I'm pretty sure Justin Knight was in like the 30s. I think he was like 36 or 37. And that kind of goes back to my first point because there are a couple Fizz members that are on the younger side that don't know how good Justin Knight is. And that's what kind of bumped him down. So yep. then when we finally looked at the list and we were coming up to his ranking, we were like, ooh, there's no way we can let that happen because Justin Knight is not 36 in SU uh, in an SU top 100 list. He has to be top 10. Or I mean, if you want to bump him down to like 11 or 12, maybe. But I still think that he. I. I mean, when at least I ranked mine, I'm pretty sure I had Justin Knight at like six. Um, so that kind of is a little inside scoop. Obviously, um, Justin Knight coming in at number nine, but coming in at number eight is another quarterback. So we just had Don McPherson at 10, Donovan McNabb at eight. If you're a football fan, you obviously know that name because of his professional days with the Eagles. He had an illustrious career in the NFL. Um, but then when it comes to his Syracuse career, he also had a very solid career bringing the Orange to multiple bowl games. Um, and then his name is also all over the SU record book. So 
My question for you, Gil, is do you think that McNabb, number one, should be above McPherson? And then number two, do you think that there's only a two-spot disparity between these two players? It feels like there should be more, but at the same time, and I'm going to be honest, like at face value, Donovan McNabb, number eight, you kind of feel like he should be higher, but I think I ranked him number seven. Um, It's just kind of, yeah, it's just kind of how things shake up. I mean, at the end of the day, McNabb was dominant for four seasons. McPherson took a little while to get going. I mean, McNabb's freshman season, he had Marvin Harrison. They went nine and two. Um, McNabb broke the NCAA freshman passing efficiency record. So so he really just got going right away. And by the way, it was like a battle for the starting job. So Paul Pasqualini made a great call giving it to to McNabb. And then he was full speed of he- uh full speed ahead. Syracuse was a top 25 team all four years that McNabb was under center. So when it comes to McNabb, my thing is I think he gets kind of a bump because people it's not like a well it's kind of a recency bias but it's more of like an nfl bias um i don't think i had mcnab in my top 10 you had mcpherson higher no i also had mcpherson a little lower okay i think i had them back to back in like and it wasn't too far back i think it was like 13 14 or like 13 12 something like that um so i don't think it was that big of a difference I just think that he kind of, and he was great. He was outstanding in his SU career. I just think that he kind of gets a little bump because he was just such a big name in the NFL. Um, and especially when he led his Eagles team to to the Super Bowl and yada, yada, yada. Um, and you look at his career at Syracuse, I mean, Big East Offensive Rookie of the Year, Big East Player of the Year. Um, and then obviously the first team and second team and first team and whatever. Uh, so he definitely has the accolades. I just think that at least in my opinion, and maybe this, I'm, I'm just making this up. I just think that he gets a little, um, unfair bump because he was in the NFL and he had such a good NFL career. I also think there's a quarterback bump, but like that. That's true. That is, that's only fair to me. So, I mean, McNabb goes 35 and 14. That's Syracuse's record over the four years. And I think a part of this is also when people talk about Syracuse football, especially in the national media, they remember Donovan McNabb as the last time that everyone cared about SU. I mean, nationally. Mm -hmm. So it's also this kind of, since Donovan McNabb, since Donovan McNabb, like we we hear that all the time. So that might be part of it. But that 35 and 14 record, Syracuse being good, McNabb, you know, being being, you know, their best player um yeah. for all those years. That yeah. means a lot, right? Right. I mean, I I'm looking down the list right now. I just have a couple and there's not too many. Again, if I was to rank McNabb, I think he would drop down three, maybe four spots. It's not a big disparity. And an eight ranking, in my opinion, is fine. I'm not going to like quiver over this. But uh, I look at number 11, and you have Pearl Washington. And at 12, Dwight Freeney. I think both of those players are better SU athletes than Donovan McNabb. Um, And you can bring up the team success. Who who is the first one, Dwight Freeney and? Pearl Washington. Pearl Washington. Um, so you can bring up all of those, those discussions and debates, and you can make a, you can make a very solid debate for Donovan McNabb to be above them, at least in my opinion. Uh, and it's, it might just be a personal gripe. I think that Washington and Freeney could be above McNabb. Um, I also think that Justin Knight could be above McNabb and we could make an argument for that, but either way, that's a Donovan McNabb coming in at number eight. Okay, yeah, that, that that's interesting. Freeney, I agree that he's probably better, but it's a quarterback against a defensive end, um, right. and yeah, I I think Pearl. I think I had Pearl above. I don't think I had Freeney. I know I didn't have Freeney above McNabb, but I do think I had Pearl uh, above McNabb. Um, all right, so we move on to yep. number seven. It is Larry Zonka, the first. Uh, or should I say the last, really, of a series 
of dominant running backs in the 60s, wore number 44, um, had a, he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, his NFL career was incredible, the Dolphins' undefeated season, uh, Zonka was a star, rushed for over 1,000 yards uh, with, with Syracuse, you know, he was, was someone who set a program record, 1,200 uh, yards, um, so, and he finished fourth in Heisman voting. Um, one season as well, which is a, a rare feat for Syracuse. So Sanka was an absolute truck. No one could tackle him and just continue this legacy of dominant SU running backs. Yeah. So, I mean, Larry Zonka at number seven makes sense because when you think about the other three great running backs that you talked about uh, or that you alluded to, and the names are Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, and Floyd Little, and we're going to get to those because they're all going to be in the top 10. Um but Larry Zonka in that list is number four. Even though he was outstanding, he is number four on that list. So that means that if you're going to put all of those guys in the top 10, uh, a seven ranking for Larry Zonka, I think is fitting. I think it's uh, reasonable. And I think it's, I mean, just something that you have to do because if you didn't have Larry Zonka in the top 10, that also kind of delegitimizes. I don't know if that's a word unlegitimizes hmm. whatever uh it kind of takes away your legitimacy that's an, that's how i want to phrase it so uh yeah larry zonka at seven good ranking uh outstanding player but when you think about su running backs he's number four yeah and any list that let's say nfl network puts together or bleacher report puts together about the toughest football players of all time Larry Zonka is is on those lists. Like he mm. he was remembered for the way he played. He was a bruiser. He was a fullback who would who would put blocks on guys that that would be replayed, you know, and and like would, you know, get people's attention, which is it's a crazy thing. You don't often see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. I mean, and then it's also kind of the conversation of does he get kind of an NFL bump too? Um, and I don't think he does in the same sense as Donovan McNabb because I think Zonka also, and McNabb did too. I just think Zonka accomplished so much at Syracuse. Um, and then you obviously you have the undefeated season in the NFL. So that, that does help him a little bit. Uh, but I also think if you're, if you take that out of conversation, he's also, uh, deserving of the number seven spot on our SU top 100 list. Uh, but we move on number six, Dave Bing going to the basketball court for this one. And you can make an easy argument. And there's obviously one other big name in the basketball side of things that we're going to get to. Um, but you can make an argument that Dave Bing was the best player, the best, the most talented player in program history. And then when you look at all of his accolades and all of his stats, um, that's going to back it up. So he also, um, looking at a couple of those stats, I mean, he played in the 60s, but from 64 to 65 in that one season, he averaged over 23 points and 12 rebounds per game, and he was only 6'3". So at 6'3", you think about it, and I know it was a different game back then and everyone wasn't as tall as they are today, but if you put a 6'3", Dave Bing, in today, zero chance he's averaging over 12 rebounds per game. I mean, you'll see. Yeah, I first of all, I don't, 12. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, it's a, it's a ridiculous <laughs> number. I mean, you do see like Russell Westbrook, who's extremely athletic and you know tends to just be a really good rebounding guard, averaging close to 10. So it is like possible, but you're right. 12 is is total absurdity. Um, and you know, Dave Bing, it, it's, it's interesting because Syracuse was in such a different place at this point. They were independent. There was no big East. They weren't really too relevant nationally. The team was, was really good one year. They made it to the elite eight in 1966, uh, and they, they lost to Duke. But other than that, the teams weren't awesome, but when you look at what Bing did, the numbers Bing put up with Syracuse, 28.4 points per game in his last season with the Orange. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to the NBA and he's a seven-time All-Star and wins a scoring title. 
Dave Bing was a complete outlier in the first, let's call it the first era of Syracuse basketball, was so much head and shoulders better than everyone else who played for Syracuse. And then there's the influence on Jim Beheim. He was Beheim's roommate. And you just wonder, <laughs> you just wonder how things play out if, uh, if that duo wasn't so, you know, closely kindled. Right. I mean, the thing that sticks with me, and you make a good point with Jim Beheim, uh, but the thing that sticks with me, and you already said it, 28 points per game. 28.4 points per game. So think about a player, number one averaging, a 6'3 player, number one averaging 12 rebounds per game, and you bring up Russell Westbrook, okay, but he doesn't average 12. He's usually just at that 10 mark, and he's also an anomaly when it comes to a point guard. So if you're having the conversation of Dave Bing and, and Russell Westbrook, that means that you're in pretty darn good company. Uh, but then on top of that, you do 12 rebounds per game in your junior year, and then your senior year, you go out and score 28 points per game. Sometimes Syracuse... And uh, what was the score when Syracuse played Virginia in opening uh, in the opening game last season? Didn't Syracuse only score like thirty four points? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so Dave Bing, if he was on that team, he scored twenty eight of the thirty four. So what the the rest of the team scored six points? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not fair to say, and that's uh, that's kind of an extrapolation. That that, that, that was that was a very interesting way to formulate that point <laughs> but still it's it it goes to my point in saying dave bing number one great rebounder number two outstanding scorer in a time where basketball wasn't to the level that it usually is and that it has been in syracuse history so to have this player before all the other huge recruits and big name recruits that this program has brought in throughout the years, it it means that Dave Bing is head and shoulders above all the other players that have gone through this program. And I think at six, it's difficult to argue any that it's a bad ranking, but I would say that if he was higher, if he was like number three or number four, I would very much support that. Sure. And then he became mayor, which <laughs> yeah. which is great because, well, everyone's always joking, right, about like, oh, Derek Jeter should become the mayor of New York. Like, everyone's always saying that, and it's always just kind of like your cliche, like, eye roll, like, no, the, athlete, the best athlete in town should not become the mayor. But then Dave Bing was amazing with the Pistons and actually became the mayor. Yeah. 2009 so I- to 2013. Did you uh, did you take that into account when you were ranking your SU top one hundred? Again, like I I think if you're awesome off the off the field and or, or off the court or whatever it may be, I think that helps you. Even if you don't want it, like it, even if it's subconscious, I think it helps these players. Yeah, like number five, Gary Gate. I'm gonna get. I'm about to get into like the fact that he was you know, the greatest mental cross player of all time. But don't you think the fact that he's doing an awesome job as the coach of the women's lacrosse team at Syracuse right now mm-hmm. helps keep him in the front of mind? Like people don't forget about Gary Gate as easily. Right. I mean, that makes sense. And when you think about it, like he had a brother that was not just as good, but pretty darn close to as good as Gary Gate. And he drops down, and I'm trying to find him on our list right now. Uh, he drops down to number 20 on our SU Top 100 list. And that might be because people just know the name Gary Gate above Paul Gate. Because, yes, Gary was a better player, but Gary also is still in the SU Athletics realm um, and is a great coach for the women's program. So, yeah, you make a good point right there. Uh, I, I do want to get to one thing about Gary Gate. And that is, he redesigned and revolutionized the sport of lacrosse. And there's basically, if you don't know, there's basically two games of lacrosse, and it seems a little confusing. There's the field game and the box game. The box game is a much tighter, 
um, more creative game because the nets are smaller. The goalies have these big pads on. You have less room to maneuver, and you have to be way more creative. And Gary Gate growing up in Canada, he played box lacrosse because that's what you did in Canada. Uh, however, he then gets recruited to Syracuse, and obviously in America they primarily play the field lacrosse, and Gary Gate took box lacrosse and just played it on the field, and no field defenders, no field coaches, no field anybody was ready for that and knew how to defend Gary Gate. And example one, and obviously the first thing that you think of if you're a Gary Gate and a men's lacrosse fan, is when he just jumped over the back of the net and dunked it in, reached up, brought his stick over the top of the net and just slammed a lacrosse ball in the net. Something that no one has ever done before in the field game and something that like just caught everybody by surprise. And that's obviously why he's nicknamed uh, Air Gate. In, in the context of Air Jordan, it's kind of now Air Gate on the lacrosse side of things. But Gary Gate revolutionized the sport. I think five is an okay ranking. I personally had him at number three on my SU top 100. I think I think I had him five as well. So okay. um, I, I think this was pretty on the money. But you're correct. I mean, this is a transcendent athlete that was bigger than, you know, his sport. And uh, with Syracuse, 1988, 1989, 1990, three national titles in a row, uh, all, all American honors, all four years for Gary Gate, the single season scoring record, which was 167 goals, 57 assists. And and how many games, and I won't have it exactly because I don't have it in front of me, but we're talking about what, 18 games? Right. Something like that. So yeah, I mean, 15, just 15, 18, that right, type of range. If you're counting uh, the playoffs. And then there's two National Player of the Year awards. His brother, Paul, as you said, was unbelievable. He was spectacular, and he's on this list pretty high. He's number 20, mm -hmm. but the top defender guarded Gary. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of gives you in a kind of, when you, when you look at it, I mean, if you are as good as Paul Gate is and you aren't getting the best long stick, that means that the other player that is getting the best long stick, a.k.a. Gary Gate, is a transcendent player. And the thing is, when you look at the SU record book, Gary isn't, I mean, he's in the, like the, whatever it is, the 200 point club or the sure. uh, whatever. Yeah. But the so Powells have better stats, right? Yes. The Powells, the Powells are like one, one and two. I'm pretty sure if you look at the record book, uh, because two of them are tied in the top spot for points in, in your entire SU career. So Gary isn't, in that like top five for points and he's i'm pretty sure he's like down at like maybe 12 um so you think and if you're just looking at stats you're like okay gary gate he was a great player but he's not in the top five for career points why is he number five on your su top 100 list and it's just because the thing that i explained before he revolutionized the game and even though he didn't score as much as the powell's uh, and the Powells are outstanding, and I think that they are very undervalued on our list. Uh, Gary Gate was just that much better than the Powells and everybody else in program history, everybody else in the sport of lacrosse. Like when you think about a Mount Rushmore of lacrosse, it's Gary Gate number one, and then you can make an argument for two, three, and four. But I think it's Gary Gate, it's probably Casey Powell, and sure, two, uh, three and four, you can name other players. But like Gary Gate is absolutely number one in the history of the sport of lacrosse. And at number five, I think it's undervaluing him a little bit. And again, you're splitting hairs between number three, number two, number five. But Gary Gate was absolutely outstanding when he was at Syracuse. I mean, Gate made money, you know, and the Gate brothers made money from lacrosse. Mm -hmm. That is so difficult to do, but they were so transcendent that um, I don't know. I don't know which brand it was. If it was Reebok, Jaren, do you know which brand made a an entire lacrosse equipment line after the Gates? Have, I think it might have been Under Armour, but I'm also okay. making that up. So okay, I'm so not one of them. Sure. Well, we'll just say one of them 
it was the, it's the equivalent of EA Sports saying, you know what, we're going to make a golf game and call it Tiger Woods. Yeah. They made lacrosse gloves and pads and and all that and put the gate name on it because that's mm-hmm. how big that last name was. Um, and a lot of it, you're right, was just the artfulness of how they played. It wasn't just, it goes beyond the numbers. So Gary Gate, number five, absolutely. Number four, back to the running backs, and it is Floyd Little, who came to Syracuse because Ernie Davis inspired him to do so. Little, sixth all-time in rushing yards for the Orange, but he only did that in three years because at this time, um, normally when you came to play football for Syracuse, you'd play on the freshman team for the first year. I know Ernie Davis did that as well. If you really extrapolate um, and you kind of almost tack on a, a fourth year, you see that he is one of the most incredibly productive uh, running backs in Syracuse history. 90 yards per game was his average Mm-hmm. And he sits second all time in rushing touchdowns with with those three seasons. Again, if there was a fourth year, he would have, in all likelihood, the most rushing downs touchdowns in Syracuse history. Yeah, and you kind of mention all of his stats. the The thing that stands out to me uh, is he's the only player in program history in Syracuse program history to have three. First team All American nods, so that means that in his three seasons with Syracuse, he was the best running back in the in the entire country in all of football, all collegiate football. Plus, he was he finished as a Heisman finalist twice. He was ranked fifth uh, in for for two seasons. So you have both of those accolades. And that means that you're pretty darn good. And it kind of, it's just so difficult to be, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about how great Floyd Little is. And he's number four. Like he's not even in the top three in our SU top 100 list because they're, the other three guys were also just so darn good. But Floyd Little at number four, it, it makes sense. Um, and I had a conversation with Len Berman on our one of our Fizz radio episodes that you can find on our SU um, Orange Fizz SoundCloud page. But Len Berman, who's now a famous broadcaster, um, he was his, a fraternity brother of Floyd Little. And he told story after story after story about how great of a just human being and how humble Floyd Little was. And they would always have conversations of like, hey, Floyd, if you win the Heisman, what are you doing with the trophy? Is it going to be in your room? Are you going to bring it home? What are you going to do? And he was like, you know what? 100%, I'm going to give it to my mom. I'm going to let my mom have it. She deserves it. She put in so much work for me. And that also kind of stands out in my head because you talk about how we were talking about earlier, like Gary Gate is known for his off-the-field presence as well floyd little at least in my head is known because he was also a great human being um and didn't really get caught up in like the whole i'm a star in the football world i'm better than everyone else um he was just a humble guy and that's why at number four i think it's a good ranking because the other three players in front of him also deserve to be in front of him. It's just, it's so difficult to to look at Floyd Little and have him not in your top three of your SU top 100 list. Well, if you ask Floyd, who was your biggest influence, he'll tell you Ernie. And, mm-hmm. you know, by by all accounts, Ernie Davis was cut from the same cloth. Um, and and so, so it makes sense that Floyd, and, you know, Floyd Little is still such a boon for the program, he still talks to players. He still mentors players. Uh, he's he's very involved. He's he's around, um, and that's why, you know, the, the, this is all. You know, he's such a great guy. So mm-hmm. uh, one thing one thing that I know um, that we should probably plug right now is um, Floyd Little was diagnosed with with cancer recently, and you mm-hmm. can help him. Uh, you can donate. To his GoFundMe page and help with his treatment, we have the link to to his GoFundMe at the bottom of the piece that we wrote on Floyd Little. 
uh, number four on orangefizz.net. That'll link you right up to the GoFundMe if you want to contribute. And uh, I, you know, the last news that that we've heard about Floyd Little is that he had you know a successful surgery and that he's doing well. Um, but of course, we want to kind of keep him in our thoughts and prayers. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's switch over. Uh, let's get off the football side of things. And coming in at number three on our SU Top 100 list is a basketball player and the highest-ranked basketball pr- player on this list, and it's Carmelo Anthony. You knew the name was coming. You just didn't know when. Um, and at number three, it's fitting because he's the only player – well, rather check that i mean he's one of the only players in program history to have a national championship and obviously he did that in his one sole year at syracuse now if you're a syracuse fan you know who carmelo anthony is you know all of his stats you know all of his accolades it's something that we don't really need to explain to you however the thing that i want to point out is the quote that's on the website and on the article that you can find orangefizz.net. It's from Jim Beheim, and he said, by far the best player in college basketball. It wasn't even close. Nobody was even close to him last year in college basketball. That's the bottom line. When Carmelo Anthony stepped on the court for Syracuse as a freshman, he was the best player in all of college basketball. And like Jim Beheim said, it wasn't even close. So Mello at number three, obviously he needs to be in the top three. Um, you can make an argument, and we've had these discussions. Oh, well, he only had one year at Syracuse. Doesn't matter. It was the best single season for anybody in program history. And Carmelo Anthony obviously has gone on to have um, a good. <laughs> I, I mean, he's uh, one of the best just like pure scorers in NBA history. Um, but he's also had an up and down and uh, uh, no. career. I'm so. going to stop you there. Okay. All right. <laughs> he's a dominant NBA player. And I'm All a right. Knicks, I'm a Knicks fan. Look, I'm a Knicks fan. I, I understand what happened there, um, in New York and look, the, the teams were bad. Mello admittedly hasn't had the longevity, uh, hasn't preserved his game like LeBron has, right? Because LeBron's one year younger. They were both in that. 2000 was it technically the 2003 draft i think it was yes they were both in that 2003 draft uh and lebron is still great and Melo has you know declined a bit but there was a point in time where there were three unguardable players in the nba lebron james kevin durant and carmelo anthony and that was the fact and and Melo had that scoring title one year and you know he's a six-time all-NBA, a 10-time All-Star. So I look at his NBA career as just, you know, he just wasn't on the team. He he wasn't on the right team. He never had a good point guard. And when it comes to, like, championships in basketball, nobody wins championships in the NBA. To win a championship in the NBA, you better be one of the greatest players of all time and then have another one of the greatest players of all time. Right. And that's just, yeah. how, the, that's just how the league works. Right. So... Um, in terms of what he did at Syracuse, I had yeah. Melo number two uh, because okay. I just don't think that there's much more you can do in a single season than what Melo did, averaging 22 points a game, you know, scoring over 30 points per game in, in some of the biggest games down the stretch in the tournament. He won tournament MVP, and if Syracuse didn't win that national championship in 2003, it would it would have changed the entire perception that we currently have of the program. And Jim Beheim would be known as the guy, and Syracuse would be known as the program that could never finish, that could never get it done in the end. They'd still have four or five final four appearances. But in 2003, they showed the world that they could finish on top, that they could beat the Blue Bloods at the end. And Carmelo was the best player in the country. The only thing missing from his resume was that for some reason he didn't win the Wooden Award or the Naismith Award because it went to TJ Ford at Texas. Yeah. Uh, You make a good point right there. What would Syracuse look like without Carmelo Anthony right now? Because, and this is complete speculation, but is Jim Jim Beheim still the head coach? If Carmelo Anthony didn't come in and win that national championship in 2003. 
Uh, does Syracuse have any of the players that came after Mello, or do they just fall back and be a bad or mid-level Power 5 team without that national championship? Because I don't think you coach for 44 years as Jim Beheim has at Syracuse without winning a national championship. I think at some point, uh, the the athletic director is probably like, hey, Jim, like you probably should win one of these or your job's going to be on the line. And I think that Carmelo Anthony gave Jim Beheim the strongest job security that you could ever have, and that's winning a national championship. So coming in at number three, Melo, I, I don't think you could have him any lower. If you had him a spot higher, then that's also fine. But if he dropped to four, that's where I start to have a little problem with it. Uh, but you, you point out all the stats. Uh, the national championship's the big thing for me. Mellow at three is a good ranking. I don't fully agree with you on the Bayheim job security thing, but I do think that clout, history, you know, that kind of thing matters. And not to mention, Mello had the biggest donation in college basketball history with the Mello Center. Facilities matter. So if Carmelo Anthony did not go to Syracuse, I believe historically, uh, ever since you know he came here, I, I believe that Syracuse would have lost some recruits because they wouldn't have had the same aura. They wouldn't have had as good of uh, facilities. And Jim Beheim, maybe... Maybe he wouldn't still be the Syracuse head coach, not because he wouldn't have won a national championship, in my opinion, but maybe because the Orange just wouldn't have found nearly the success that they wound up finding. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Number two, Ernie Davis, uh, the man who has a statue outside the dome, deservedly so, one of the best, maybe it, one of, if not the best story that has ever accompanied a Syracuse athlete. Because not only did Ernie Davis win the Heisman Trophy, but he was the first black player to do so in the early 60s at a time when the country was at its its highest level of, of one of its highest levels of racial tension in the history of the country. And Ernie Davis handled himself with incredible class took a great amount of abuse. Uh, when he won the MVP in 1962, uh, when Syracuse won its only national championship um, in program history, beating Texas in the Cotton Bowl, he was not allowed to attend the awards banquet because he was black, even though he was MVP. Carried mm-hmm. himself with, with class and dignity and was the number one pick and one of the biggest tragedies uh, that that you could imagine is that he never played a snap in the NFL uh, because he passed of cancer before he was able to do so. Yeah, I mean, there's a movie, <laughs> there's a movie for Ernie Davis's life. Yeah. Like that'll tell you enough about who he was as a star, as an athlete, as every, as just like a person. Uh, if you have a movie made after you, you obviously deserve to be on RSU top 100 list. You probably deserve to be number two. Uh, the thing that kind of gets forgotten a little bit is Ernie Davis also was a fantastic lacrosse player. Um, I mean, obviously his football, his football stats and football career is everything that you think about. Uh, but he also played lacrosse and really? yeah, I mean, I don't, there's nothing that I can really explain more than you did for Ernie Davis's football side of things mm-hmm. um, because he was just so great. But you just think about him as just a pure athlete. And if you just are ranking like who's the most athletic in all of Syracuse athletics, like in, in the history of the entire college and the university – I mean, Ernie Davis is going to be up there because he was just a freak athlete. Um, And if you win the Heisman, I mean, you're there. So uh, Ernie Davis at number two. Heisman and a national championship. Yeah. I mean, I don't think think you really need to prove anything else after that. Uh, So Ernie Davis coming in at number two. Wrapping up here on this FizzCast and all of our SU Top 100 list is number one, 
And that's obviously the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Brown. I mean, I don't think you have to ex I don't if there was any other name, let me put it this way. If there is any other name and uh, at the top of our SU top 100 list that wasn't Jim Brown, this list is just garbage, right? I mean, it's just absolute garbage if it's not Jim Brown because he was the best football player in program history. And he also played, let me just read all of this off. He played basketball at Syracuse. Obviously, he played football. He played lacrosse, and he's one of the best uh, lacrosse players in program history. He also ran track. And Roy Simmons Jr., who was at the time the coach of the Syracuse boxing team, told Brown that he could have been a heavyweight champion if he decided to play that sport at Syracuse. Play he boxing? Also, yeah, boxing. Boxing. Right, uh, but I, I was just making fun of you because you don't really play boxing. You fight. Uh, oh, well, thank okay. you for that. Yeah, uh, sure. You compete in boxing. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brown also, he didn't play baseball at Syracuse, but at the time Syracuse did have a team. Um, he could have easily played baseball and been a star pitcher because in high school he threw two no-hitters. The Yankees scouted him as a high school baseball player and then, obviously, I mean, uh, football, which I'll let you take over. But when you just think of just pure dominance, it's Jim Brown. Yeah, he he was, I guess, the first Bo Jackson before there was Bo Jackson. But he also kind of had a more, you know, better longevity and a more, you know, really um, fleshed out career because in the NFL he was he made the Pro Bowl every season he was in the league which really just doesn't happen he was an NFL MVP he he won a Super Bowl with the Browns in 64 and with Syracuse he was a unanimous All-American every single year um college football Hall of Fame inductee 1995 uh he just did unbelievable things with with Syracuse leading rusher as a sophomore as a junior, of course, I mean that's almost a no-brainer. Fifth in Heisman Trophy voting, um, in what year was that? That, that was fifty-six. Um, but he was also just the first to set off the chain reaction, and and that also counts for something because Ernie Davis just doesn't come to Syracuse without Jim Brown, and that's not even a take. Like that's just what Jim. That's that, facts. Yeah, that <laughs> that's a fact. It's not a take. And then Floyd Little was inspired by Ernie Davis. So Jim Brown was such a, a pioneer for this program that it's just impossible to ignore. Um, he set off, you know, he put, he he is, you know, the, the poster figure of Syracuse football and always will be. I mean, he's the poster figure of the sport of football. I mean, the NFL, who just had their 100th season, I think, last year or two years ago, uh, they did a NFL Top 100 with all-time players, and Jim Brown was number one. Mm -hmm. So he was number one in the NFL, and he's number one in Syracuse. Program. I mean, if you're number one in the NFL, I'm pretty sure you're going to be number one in your university's history. So uh, Another thing, and I, I know I've already talked about all these other sports, I, I found some specifics that I would like to read off to you. And maybe you know this already, Gil, maybe you don't, uh, but I, I, would, I just want to see your reaction. So there's a couple different things. Uh, number one, in 1954, when, uh, when Jim Brown was competing for track, he finished fifth in the decathlon at a national AAU meet. So he finished fifth in the decathlon, um, in 1957, he played two sports in one day. So first, he won the high jump and the javelin. He placed second in discus. And then later on that day, he went over to the stadium. I, I'm not sure if they played in the dome at that point. Uh, threw his lacrosse jersey on. And then won a lacrosse game against Army 8-6. to six to make sure that their season stayed undefeated. And then talking about lacrosse, he helped Syracuse go 10-0, uh, a, a perfect season. He was the co-leader for the national scoring champion championship. And he was a two-time All-American midfielder. And then just the cherry on top, the sport of lacrosse had to change their rules because Jim Brown was so good 
before Jim Brown, you could kind of pin the stick to your chest um, and kind of just hold it there so defenders couldn't really get to it. And then he was just so good, so athletic, so fast, so kind of just strong that he would power through people holding uh, his stick to his chest that the NCAA was like, okay, well, we got to change this. So they said, all right, you got to keep the stick in constant motion and you can't pin it to your chest. So that's just how good of an athlete he was outside of the sport of football. I mean, that's just a objectively necessary rule. I mean, if Jim Brown (laughs) is going to put the ball against his body and lower his shoulder into defenders, like it's just going to be a bloodbath. Right. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, he also kicked field goals for, uh, for the football team. So he was the kicker as well, which is just, (laughs) if you want to put a cherry on top of it, you know, just, he he absolutely dominated, um, 14 touchdowns in a season where Syracuse played eight games um, in the Cotton Bowl, rushed for 132 yards, scored three touchdowns, three extra points, blocked an extra point as well, and Syracuse beat um, TCU 28-27. I mean, he's uh, he's so he's so transcendent, so transcendent. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for this FizzCast. Let's look through the top 10 real quick one more time. Don McPherson at 10, Justin Knight at 9. Coming in at number 8 is Donovan McNabb. Larry Zonka secures the 7 spot. At 6 is Dave Bing. Number 5, Airgate. Gary Gate coming in right there. Number 4, Floyd Little. Number 3, Carmelo Anthony. Number two goes to Ernie Davis. And of course, Jim Brown takes the top spot on our SU Top 100 list. And that will wrap up the list. Make sure that you go check out that list on our website, orangefizz.net. Follow us on Twitter at orangefizz. Find all of our audio content on our SoundCloud page by searching orangefizz. And we have some more content coming out on this SU Top 100 list. A couple recap articles will be posted next week. A couple recap fizzcast with some SU experts uh, will be joining me. Uh, and we'll we'll kind of just wrap up this entire experience that's been going on for a month. Uh, but that's your top 10 of your SU Top 100 list. For Gil Gross, I'm Jared May signing off. I'll see you next time.